Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain, Bradley Burrows and guests. Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 24. You are here with Paul Spain. You've got Bradley Burrows in the studio. And Skip Parker also in the studio. Excellent. Good to uh, good to be with you guys. Um, our listeners may not know, but I'm coming to you um, from California. I'm connecting into the podcast this week via a 4G WiMAX connection, <laughs> uh, which may mean nothing to most of you because uh, such technology is not available in New Zealand. I'm quite hopeful that it will uh, continue working throughout the episode without dropping out. Uh, but <laughs> and that's, uh, that's why we're laughing. <laughs> yeah, because we've, we've been trying to get this going for about 20 minutes and it keeps <laughs> dropping out. So tonight we've, uh, we've, we've got quite a bunch to, uh, to get through. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the technology um, that we picked up here in the States. And we are going to chat uh, about some other technologies that have just come through recently. We've had a little bit of a look at uh, the web OS uh, from HP, originally from Palm, uh, on their new tablet systems. We're going to look at the playbook, uh, a little bit of Linux and Apple news, uh, a bunch of New Zealand news. We're also um, going to be having a big chat with um, journalist from ZDNet, uh, Mary Jo Foley. So there's uh, there's a lot coming up in the show tonight, so uh, let's get into it. Yeah, we've got a big one tonight. We've had a, we've had a huge couple of weeks, so we're looking forward to this one. So what's happening, guys, with um, OS X 10.7 with Lion? That's the million-dollar question at the moment. It's all very silent out there. The rumour mill is rife that it's going to come out Thursday our time, that they're going to announce in the stores that you're going to be able to walk in and buy your new MacBook Airs with 10.7. But on the Apple website, dead silent. So um, I've been doing a bit of research around, and, and yeah, the, the rumor mill is saying Wednesday LA time, um, Thursday New Zealand time. Um, UB, I couldn't get anything from then today. So hopefully, we have, Thursday we might have line 10.7. Well, it tends to be the Apple way, doesn't it? They, uh, they keep it, they keep it uh, under the radar and, and, until it's out. Um, one thing that the guys at uh, UB have, um, have done is they've released an app that you can uh, fire up on your machine just to check whether um, whether your Mac is actually going to be compatible uh, with Lion. So it has a look at your system and just checks all your specs and so on. So uh, that's quite cool. And is that a is that a, um, a phone app, iPad app, or is it a um, physical Mac, um, iMac slide, um, app? Um, it's a it's a well because it's checking your Mac. Um, it'll it'll run on any Mac, but no, it's not going to run in your phone to check your your computer or run on your uh, TV to check your computer. It actually runs on your computer. That would be handy though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but look, it's interesting around the ten dot seven. Um, when we're doing some research for the show, um, you know, Linus Torvald, obviously the man that invented Linux, has um reviewed uh Apple's new ten dot seven. And I'm, I'm going to quote here, so please let me quote this. Linus calls Apple's new file system complete and utter crap, apparently. He said wow. it was absolutely the poorest written, written file system he's ever seen. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what how this all comes out. 
Now, he doesn't really say a lot of bad things at times, does he? I mean, he's not no. not sort of known to go and slander other operating systems too much. No. And look, it's, it's, it, and this was a direct quote that I heard from him as well. So it's really, yeah, it is really interesting to hear him actually say that. And now, let's hope the journalist that's recorded this and, and has actually written it down accurately, but he's, they've got it in quotes on the article I was reading. So, yeah, it's interesting to see what they've actually changed as well. I need, we need to do a bit of research and get the UB guys in here to find out what the big file system changes are in 10.7 versus 10.6. Paul, have you heard anything over there at all? Or Yeah, I mean, there are some behind-the-scenes changes. I mean, the main one um, I'm aware of is that they've changed um, the way they interact with Windows, Windows systems. And you know, previously they were they were using the um, the open source uh, Samba um, stack to uh, to allow communication with Windows servers and so on. But they've they've ripped that out due to some uh, um, licensing changes with those open source modules and have re- rewritten that stuff from scratch as their own. And yeah, the thought was hopefully that solves some of the the long-standing you know issues that have been cropping up, particularly with 10.6 around Mac Windows compatibility. But uh, yeah, I'm not too sure of specific details around file system changes. Uh, there was a time they were looking at bringing in and using um, somebody else's file system. I think possibly the Sun, uh, one of Sun's file systems that was going to be um, hooked into OS X, but. No, I'm not not sure of the details of that yet. So, um, uh, if any of the listeners out there or any of uh, the Geek Zone guys have got any uh, on feedback on that, um, we'll we'll be keen to hear about it. So, are we are we saying that potentially the um, with the changes to this version that there might be more, well, not more, but there might be incompatibility issues with Windows servers? Is that a well? They have ten point six has had its own. Um, compatibility issues in some cases with Windows servers or in a lot of cases so what that's meant is is organisations that are doing a lot uh, running a lot of Macs against Windows servers uh, are having to go out and actually buy a third party package to uh, you know to handle that um, SMB communication more effectively so yeah interesting uh, interesting times but it sounds like we've only got a few more days to wait till we get the actual full final code and uh, we can run that in, in production across all our systems. So, well, uh, you know, that, that's sort of... Let's hope it's only a few more days. <laughs> yeah, they're delayed once already, so let's hear. We, look, I want well, I won't have a play on it. They've said it's coming out this month, so in a worst case, it's two weeks away, right? Yeah. So, um, well, less than two weeks away. So not, not really something to be too panicked about. All right, moving right along. While in the States, we've picked up some new bits and pieces of tech, and one of those things is a couple of the uh, boxes from Roku, who make a small box similar size to the Apple TV, uh, which is designed for playback of Netflix and various other online TV viewing ex- experiences and, and movie and TV streaming services. Brad, you've had a good play with that um, since you got back in the last sort of two or three days. What it, what's your feedback on that, sort of comparing it with the Apple TV and even the Xbox 360 for accessing Netflix, for instance? What What's your experiences on that, Ben? So just to give our listeners a bit of a view of what I compared it against. So the Xbox 360 Slim, um, the Apple TV 1, Apple TV 2. So those are the other three devices I compared the Roku against. If Roku was a female and I wasn't married, I'd marry it. <laughs> That's how good this thing is. This thing is absolutely stunning. It blew me away how quick and simple it was to set up. 
Look, just to expand on what you said, look, it allows you to have Netflix and Hulu, but it actually plugs in a whole lot of other free services like Pandora. Um, it's got NASA TV. It's got Twit built into it natively. Um, it's got, what else have we got in there? I'm just trying to think. of. It's got Amazon. It's got a whole lot of free services. You can also subscribe to other services, which you can do to the Roku website and add it in as channels. And does it, does it, I've got a, a very important question for you. Does it let you listen to the New Zealand Tech Podcast? So our podcast hosting service, Blueberry, actually have a service in there. And I have I was going to have a quick search um, last night, but I actually fell asleep because of the jet lag. Um, I was, <laughs> but I was playing with all the other ones. And look, Netflix on the Xbox, I was really impressed with how that worked. Um, Netflix on um, Apple TV 1 and 2, so-so. But the Netflix on this was absolutely magical. Um, the way they've implemented it is really, really slick. The For some reason, there's absolutely no buffering, and I'm getting high definition, which I, I don't know what they've done differently because, it, to me, the, the, the exit should all be the same way, but it was brilliant. I watched a couple of episodes of Bones through it, and it was just perfect. Hulu was really nice. Um, look, I was watching ABC LA News Paul over there on the day behind, so it was a video podcast. Um, about Carmageddon, which we can talk about later, um, which and it was just perfect, no no delays or anything. So, um, yeah, look, it is an absolute stunning piece of technology. It is, it is tiny, it is quiet, it is easy to set up, 10-minute installation. Um, the version that I've got is the uh, wireless N plus Ethernet component and HDMI, um, and it is, um, if you can get it on Amazon, buy it. It is absolutely stunning. I would buy that over an Xbox. So the question is, you've, you've got this device down here, is it because you've got an American IP address service that you're getting these services, or are you just running this straight off your Kiwi connection? No, American IP services right. at, at the moment is, is the is the key thing. Um, I will test it off the. Um, all the other devices are being tested off the same IP service. So I tried to be consistent when I was looking at. Yeah. The Apple TV one and two. Well, the Apple TV one I, I like better than the Apple TV two because it's got a hard drive in it. Um, right. And the TV element's actually a bit of a lie. It's not a TV. It's a downloading service that streams so it's a bit of a thing the 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 xbox netflix experience is really nice with the connect part but i mean this blows it out of the water all three of them out of the water if if someone said to me look what do you want to spend your money on for the 79.95 us i think that they're, they're going for the roku stunning absolutely stunning device um yeah best thing i've actually bought in a long time so i'm really really impressed with that oh i'm glad i put you onto it we'll give you in the score credit <laughs> <laughs> the Roku box is one of the things that I pre-ordered before we got to the States and what happened was when we got to the hotel within the first couple of days there was um, about four boxes worth of uh, deliveries and uh, the, the first thing that it got ordered was the Roku box and then a bunch of other uh, uh, yeah bits and pieces arrived but it sounds like we're definitely onto a winner with the Roku yeah uh, definitely you know, just just worth pointing out there's actually three different boxes available and they're all about to be superseded within the next few days as well yeah i know uh, which is, is somewhat frustrating after we, we've bought a couple of these things but um so you've got the sort of low-end box which is more uh, sd and then you've got the, the two hd boxes if i've got that uh, right actually i think they're all hd but the difference is the wi-fi capability with, within the two higher end models so the the low-end model is sixty dollars uh that's the roku hd and then you've got the roku xd which is about eighty dollars and the roku xds which is um a hundred 
that's yeah. all US dollars. Man, that's that's uh, really cheap, eh? They're ridiculous. And especially with our exchange rate. I mean, the XDS only really gives you the ability to plug in USB hard drives. Is that correct, Paul? It also gives you 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi if, you, oh, if you happen to be running that. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, I was streaming this Wi-Fi as well, not wired. Wow. Yep, by the way, just on the, on my on my testing. So um, I'm, well, I'll am i do a wired connection with it, but the Wi-Fi is it, yeah, brilliant. Cannot speak it. Oh, just, wow. This thing's <laughs> really thing good. For, just for um, everyone to realize is you've got to be a little bit careful with the US prices you see because they tend to exclude tax, whereas in New Zealand we're used to seeing a price that's quoted that includes tax. So when I went out and bought my Roku box, I had to pay shipping and tax because I, got, I bought it from Roku themselves. Um, there are some ways around that with Amazon, and Amazon are going through the courts here in the US at the moment to fight some of the changes and laws that have come into, into play around the way they try and dodge hank some of those taxes. But you can you know, potentially get around that. Then, of course, you've got shipping costs to get them to New Zealand unless you happen to be here. So the units that I bought cost around 90 US and then your exchange rate and whatnot on, on top of that. Yeah, still very reasonable when you when you calculate that out. It's not not much up over or around one hundred and twenty dollars. So, yeah. so um, move, moving along to the next thing. Now we've got we've managed to get a bit of a coup over here. We've actually got an air, um, an interview with Mary Jo Foley, haven't we? We have indeed. Now, um, Mary, Mary Jo Foley's one of the the top, I guess, reporters and journalists who writes about Microsoft sort of specific news. And we caught up with Mary Jo uh, while we were at the Microsoft Worldwide Partners Conference in Los Angeles last week. So um, right now we're going to cut across to that, uh, that interview. Mary Jo Foley, very, uh, very good to have you uh, back on the NZ Tech Podcast. Uh, we enjoyed chatting to you during Microsoft Worldwide Partner Conference. Um, just have a few, uh, few things we'd like to chat through about your opinion on what's happening in the Microsoft world. Great. Now, Windows 8, that's a real buzz at the moment. It um, is. You, you've, uh, in your All About uh, Microsoft um, uh, section on ZDNet, you've uh, been talking about Windows 8 maybe coming a little bit sooner than what had been predicted previously. Mm-hmm. Why? Yeah, well, I'll, t- I'll tell you. So the way I set that up on my blog was I said it was a rumor because I only have this from one source. And I can't tell you who the source is, but I, I can tell you it's somebody who's pretty well-placed and probably has a good idea of what's going on. Um, and what what this person said to me was, you all think Windows 8's going to be RTMing late 2012, but it's actually way further ahead than you think it is, and that it could even RTM as early as April 2012. And so here's, here's the thinking and the reasoning for this. So... Everybody's saying, oh, they're going to have multiple RCs and betas, and there's going to be all this feedback. That's not how they're going to do it. And if you look back at Windows 7, they didn't really do it that way. Yes, Nokia has a pattern, doesn't he? Right. He follows this 12-week release cycle. You look at Windows Phone and IE, they're all following that same sort of methodology of the development now. So, I mean, so Paul perked up today on one of the slides, sorry, last week on one of the slides, that, um, you know, they had FY12... Windows 8 is going to be delivered. Now that means it's going to be here by June. Right. Well, that's fine. So, right. yeah, your April timeframe could have some merit there. It could. And, you know, so if so let's say it does RTM in April, um, that would mean they could get it out in time for back to school, which would be huge for them, you know. Yeah. And, 
and it, I, I really think it could happen. It's really, it's not really as far fetched as it sounds because we're already through the milestone builds. Like yeah. they're done with milestone three. The next thing is beta. Yeah, and the, I mean they've 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 shown it running yeah. on on you know um, um, the other you know chip platforms right. and so on. So it's it's uh, you know they're obviously well through all of that work. Yep. You know most of the um, the technology is going to be compatible with Windows Seven. So it's not this big rewrite like Vista was, where you know there were so many sort of new uh, new things under the hood in terms of drivers and and so on. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I think that could well be it the could. case. And uh, I you know I think we just have to wait until the, the build uh, Windows yeah. conference, right. and which is what September, yeah. and we should really get the lowdown on what's really inside Windows Eight. Mm-hmm. And hopefully a good handle on, or a bit more of a handle anyway, on on that release cycle. So one of the other key things I picked up is that I mentioned that they've released a technology preview, really already. Now the previous when they were doing this with Windows Seven, the build equivalent back then, they only released a technology preview then. So this one, they're on track to deliver a beta. Now, if they deliver a beta in September, you go for that twelve methodology. January could be an RC. RC. Yeah. The line, it all lines up, yeah. and so yeah. I mean, if they are that far down, right. they are past that typical preview stage. Yeah, it would look really good for hopefully something early, which would be great. It would. I mean, and the other the other kind of clue when you're putting things together is if you think about how they develop Windows, the last thing they do is DUI, right? That's always the last thing they add and the last thing they show. So they've already showed it. Yeah. Yes, it's true. Yeah. I mean, so they're not like just showing you a fake demo. That was a real Windows 8 build with a working UI. Have you had your hands on one? Can you tell us that? Or no, I have not had my hands okay. on one. It's funny, I, I actually use, I have an iPad and um, my signature line on my iPad, which is what I put on it, is sent from my Windows 8 slate as a joke. <laughs> <laughs> and I forgot that I had that as my tagline, and I've been sending mail to people, and they're like, oh my god, you have a Windows 8 slate? Can you tell us about it? And I'm like, oh no, it's really my iPad. And, they, and they're like, no, it's not. And I, I, you must have a secret one, you know? That is hilarious. But no, it's my iPad. <laughs> I might have to do that, actually. Be quiet. Oh, that's great. Now, now, Windows Phone. You've you've moved into the Windows Phone world. Mm-hmm. I have. What, what are your thoughts? Where you know? How do you like what it is now? And what are your thoughts on where it's going? Um, I really like the Windows Phone a lot. I had a I had a loaner device um, from the time last fall when they showed it in the U.S. They gave me a loaner device and. Um, I've been using it since then, and I was dying for Verizon to come out with something because I'm a Verizon customer, and finally we've got the HTC Trophy, which is a very decent phone and um, pretty good battery life. You've got it, too? Yeah. And um, I I think it's it's a nicer platform than I thought it was going to be. I I was kind of thinking, oh, the hardware is okay, but I'm I'm not really sold on it. But I've really liked it. I haven't had any problems with it. Um, and I'm super excited about Mango um, because it's all the things that are going to make it a really up-to-speed, very competitive platform. Um, but, you know, I'm pretty happy with Nodo, I have to say. I mean, it's it's working pretty well. So we're, we're lucky we're on the development preview for Mango at the moment. Nice. And it's just, and it's a beta, basically mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. 
where it's at right now with speed, performance, and features is, is mind blowing. Yeah. Uh, it's a new level. It's something that for us, we've just really noticed those small differences. Like you know, the LinkedIn boxes are so just rich, and oh, it would go on for hours. Down <laughs> but I think what they've done now is they've actually, in two or three releases, they've got themselves up to the Android. Yeah. Not quite the iPhone 5, maybe, right. but they're pretty close behind that now. Yeah. So yeah. it's going to be interesting to see when Mandy gets released what really happens to the market. And that will obviously be on the Nokia platform. Right. And that's what I'm really interested too in. Um, later this fall is what kind of new phones are going to be coming out and what they're going to look like and you know what kind of cameras are they going to have and all those good things yeah. so I, I think that's what's going to sell more people on Windows Phone too sure. is it's like now you get a nice platform but people want something really different and really like wowing and I think that's what some of these mango phones are going to be we're certainly hoping so. Yeah, you'll get them a lot before we do. We're about really? four months behind when they get Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Our carriers down in New Zealand are... Well, there is. I mean, with, with Windows Phone 7, New Zealand was the first country in the, in the world to get it. So when the trophy yeah. launched in New Zealand, uh, you know, because of where we are in the time zones, we got it before anywhere else. And then, of course, you know, Asia and Europe, uh, at, you know, basically the same day. And yeah. then, of course, there was that delay for the US, which was quite unusual, wasn't it, mm-hmm. for Microsoft to, uh, to have yeah. the product launched elsewhere rather than the US. So, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, in the U.S., Microsoft and Verizon don't have the best relationship, and um, part of that stems from the whole Ken debacle. Um, so, you know, Verizon they they carry Microsoft phones, but they aren't a real backer of the platform, and hopefully that's going to change at some point. Um, because in in certain cities in the U.S., especially on the East Coast, it's pretty impractical to use AT and T as your carrier because it, it just the service isn't as good as Verizon. Sorry, it's a running joke here. I've been on AT&T, and because my phone's on an AT&T phone, yeah. it's driving me mad with calls <laughs> on an AT&T phone. He's loving it. I'm just, yeah. We've been having an ongoing debate. You know, yeah, I mean, and, and I'm not saying AT&T service is horrible everywhere, um, but in, in cities in the U.S., especially where there are a lot of iPhone users, and most of the East Coast, and especially New York, um, Verizon is just um, head and shoulders above AT&T. Yeah. Now, um, we've been using Office 365 since, you know, during the beta for um, for producing the NZ Tech podcast. So we've been, you know, collaborating via SharePoint. We've been using the emails through there, doing a lot with Link. Um, what's your take on, on Office 365 and, and, you know, how things are going to play out in the market against Google and, and so on? Yeah. Well, I think, I think it's a platform they have to get out there, and I'm glad to see it's finally out there. Um, because, you know, it, BPOS was okay, um, but not great. I'm trying to be diplomatic. It was, one of the, it was very much one, you know, one, of, one. one of Microsoft's yeah. version one products. Exactly. And we've seen that in the past where exactly. a new product comes out and it's a, it's a toe in the water, but it's, right. it's not, you know, it wasn't really strong enough for no. a broad adoption, was it? No, and, you know, it, especially the Exchange online piece of it, it was based on really old code. It was based on Exchange Server 2007. So it was never it was never built to be multi-tenant. And they kept kind of kludging it to make it sort of work as a multi-tenant platform. And that's why there were all those service degradations and outages and problems. And so it, it, they just couldn't get to the 2010 code base fast enough because, mm-hmm. you know, when people hear about that, especially partners and customers, they're like, oh, it's old code and I don't want that. Yeah, they lose confidence too. They you, you can't launch an old, old platform when you're trying to get, you're trying to compete, play catch up against right. Google Apps, which now right. is the time. Right. What, what's your thoughts on Google Apps versus Office 365? I mean, there's a lot of it gets very religious for a lot of people. You know, and, uh, we've, look, we've been using it. We love Office 365. We've got people that use Google Apps. They love Google Apps. And as you saw for Q 
through the this morning, he got very passionate around this one. Yeah. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? You know, um, I, I should say I'm not a Google Docs or a Google Apps user. I've, I've tried them, but I'm not a real user. And um, I know I know from business users and enterprise customers that I talk to, a lot of them are really en- enticed by the price. And, you know, they think, oh, if I can get the exact same set of features from Google, why not go with the lower price? And um, it's, it's amazing how many of them kind of come around and say, okay, I tried it, and it's actually not what I thought it was. Um, and a lot of people are switching back. Um, you know, the reason, the reason I don't write about all these back-and-forth switchings and case studies is the part of this that we don't really know is the deals that are being cut, right? So Microsoft's paying some people to move to their platform and to switch back. I mean, we, one of those deals recently came to light um, in the past couple of weeks in the they, US. They were, they were funding some of the, uh, you know, the project to move to the platform, right? So, right. right. Yeah. Right. It was pretty high. Um, was that, a, that was a situation, though, where the customer was ongoing, still going to be paying, yeah. Uh, yeah, something like a million dollars of a year in, in ongoing fees, yeah, so it wasn't, I, yeah, it wasn't a complete sort of buying of yeah. the customer, but it's quite interesting to hear it those is. stories, isn't it? I know, and, yeah. and you know, like when you hear some of those, you're like, yeah, you don't know all the details, on both sides, not yeah. just on Microsoft's yeah, side. Yeah, and we've heard of similar things with, right. with, with Google saying to people, well, look, we'll give you our product for life if yeah. you will come across and act as a as a reference for oh, wow. us. Really? Uh, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. We, I mean, so it's interesting. It is. Yeah. I mean, but in the end, I think what it comes down to, especially on the enterprise side, is you need a vendor who you believe understands the enterprise. And that's one thing Microsoft's really good at. And, you know, they do things like, like for example, you know, the migration to Office 365. They're not just going to foist it on people, you know. They're giving you an email that says, hey, we want to migrate you on such and such a date from BPOS. And if are you guys ready? Are you not ready? And they're not just going to like put it out there and suddenly you wake up in the morning and it's like, hey, guess what? All my users have been transitioned to a new version. And I wasn't ready. <laughs> no, you can't do that to no, a business, can you? You can't. There's training. Can't. There are you know, a whole lot of things. And that Google's need to learning that. Yeah. They're learning that now, but Microsoft knows that from all their years of experience, you know, selling to enterprise customers. And, and we've, we've dealt with both Google and the Microsoft support side of things. You know, I think that's one strength is that the Microsoft support around Office 365 versus the, the Google support. I mean, it's a different sort of experience. Really, isn't it? Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, really, really good support from the Microsoft side. Really, that's good. Yeah, we, I mean, we even had a person call us back, and you know, mm-hmm. the, the whole nice customer interaction, you know. We're 6,000 kilometers away from the most important exactly. thing. We've still a very clear roadmap of what to expect, what's coming, and that's really key when, when you're trying to be a partner selling it or a customer using it. You want to know what's coming. Yeah. yeah. Changing text for a second now, moving into the consumer play, Connect. It's everywhere where, where we saw last week at WPC. What are your thoughts on it? Have you used it? I know Paul Thorop used it for about an hour apparently and then ran away from it. <laughs> <laughs> and Leo Laporte loves it. But what are your thoughts on it? Um, I have to say I'm not a Connect user and I'm also not an Xbox user. Okay. Um, and part of that is due to space constraints. I live in New York. I live in a really small space. 
and I don't really have room for a Kinect yeah. and an Xbox and all that. But I also don't know if I'm the right audience. You know, I know Microsoft's trying to broaden the, the appeal of the Xbox platform, especially with Kinect, to, you know, not just hardcore gamers, yeah. but everybody. Um, I'm, I'm so far not sold on it. Um, and I know people are kind of developing some new and interesting apps, especially now that there's the SDK out for Windows, um, and yes. talking about how, what would it be to have the Kinect sensor hooked up to your Windows machine, and what kinds of things could you do there? I mean, maybe maybe that'll be kind of how I get in into the whole Kinect wave, is more through Windows. Um, but there's some pretty cool stuff happening. And, and just uh, last week, they, they announced they're also have, going to have a robotics um, SDK for Kinect. That, that sounds exciting. In fact, we, we were talking a little bit about um, what some of those possibilities were on one of the previous episodes oh, really? of the NZT yeah. podcast. Really. So yeah. um, I think that, that that sounds quite interesting. It does, right? Yeah. I mean, like, think about it. Like a sensor hooked up to a robot and, like, what kinds of things can you do that? Yeah, I'd love to see it built into Windows 8. Not, not the tablets, but the right. Windows 8 laptops. And that would mean that you could actually do something with... Because a lot of the laptops now have cameras built into right. them. If that was a connected open camera, yep. you could actually use gesture controls and bits yep. and pieces yeah, and that could be quite you know quite interesting to even things like you know, a PowerPoint presentation, yep. not having to have a controller, but you sort of just wave at the slide and and you know swipe your your arm in the air and it slides across to the next one. Who knows what the possibilities are? But those robotics uh, concepts sound sound really interesting yeah. Yeah. Uh, because it, in the past I think it's you know for to 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 build up those sort of robotic technologies very very expensive, whereas a Connect is a very low cost piece that you know could enable uh, you know these devices to, to really see and, and know how to move around and so on so that sounds pretty cool um, now with you, your uh, you know history reporting on Microsoft uh, you know since since meeting uh, Bill Gates and in a4 uh, um, what do you think the past tells us about the future in terms of where Microsoft is going how well Microsoft will be able to compete in the spaces where you know where, where they've struggled in the past, you know we've seen um, um, you know iPhone and Android take you know so much share in the mobile space. We've got you know the iPad that has just you know done exceptionally well in this tablet space, which Microsoft has tried to play in in the past, uh, and the iPads have just come in and blitzed it. Uh, you know there are various other um, spaces as well where Microsoft you know hasn't done as well as I'm sure they'd like to. Well, what do you what do you think about it? that if you know looking back to, to help look forward. You know, I think I think these days a lot of people forget how Microsoft succeeded in some of the markets they succeeded in. Like let's look at Xbox, right? People are like, oh they dominate in gaming consoles right now. Well they didn't used to, right? They were like the total underdog. When they came in the gaming console market, everyone laughed. They're like, you're never gonna beat Sony. What are you even trying for, right? So the thing to remember here is Microsoft will when they see a market that they think is strategic they will stick with it and they will keep spending and they're not afraid to spend and they have a lot of money to spend and they're going to keep throwing money at something until they win because they lost billions didn't they, they on, on, billions. on the Xbox initially they, they poured billions. huge amounts of money in. right and yeah. I mean so when I hear people say you know what you know what's going to happen with Windows Phone they're just going to decide they, they're never going to be as good as the iPhone and Android and they're just going to give up no they're not they're not going to give up. <laughs> they can't not have a mobile phone play. And you know what? They're going to spend 
and they're going to spend, and they're going to do whatever it takes till that thing is successful. I mean, look at the deal with Nokia. I mean, they spent billions of dollars to do that deal because they knew they had to win it, and they knew Google wanted it, and they just outbid them for it. Well, look at look at two things. One thing, the other right? deal, and obviously Skype, they outbid right. everyone else. They wanted those two entities to actually grow share in the search market and you know get the, the, the Skype integration. So it's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, they will continue, they will just flog it, flog it, flog they it. They invest, they go whole hog. They do, yeah. they do. And that's what people forget. They're like, oh no, they're gonna just get sick of it and drop it. Nope, they're not. And, and where you know where they place their bets, and that's something we heard about last week at the partner conference was where are they betting strategically, right? One of the big bets is Windows Phone, and the other one is tablets. Absolutely. And so they're gonna they're gonna keep at it and keep at it until they get it right. And they've got the they've got the people, they've got the time, and they've got the money, and they're gonna just keep throwing it at it until they get it. So I think that's something people forget. They're, they yeah. think they just have a short-term interest and they drop things with, because they remember the kin and they yes. remember things like that. And um, they're like, see, what, look what happened with the kin. They're going to do that again. But the wasn't, kin wasn't strategic. Not, not as strategic. Not like this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whereas, yeah, I think they, they made a call there to drop that because there was so much investment in Windows Phone. Exactly. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. And, you know, if we look back, there's a, a lot of, uh, you know, in the early days... Microsoft didn't have a broad product range, right? No. And so most of the areas where Microsoft is successful today are areas where Microsoft has come from, you know, behind yeah. to win. It's, you know, browsers, uh, SQL Server, know, and databases, database, yeah. even even Office, right? Yeah, right? You know, there was WordPerfect was the big uh, uh, was the big product for word processing. Mm-hmm. Lotus one two three and, and spreadsheets. Um, PowerPoint certainly wasn't the first in that space. I think um, there was a product called Persuasion from Aldis in the early days, which was the big sort of presentations program. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a fair bit of history there of, of Microsoft investing and uh, ultimately doing quite well. They're, they're a better chase than leader, I think, they as are. an organisation. But when their back's against the wall, actually, I think we've seen that in the last yeah. seven years, suddenly we get that output of really good quality software, devices, everything else. And, and in some ways, that's why competition is so key for Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Because when they dominate, then they get lazy. They do. Mm. I.e. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and regardless of whether they they win or or lose in these in these certainly in these key sort of strategic spaces they're really going to push the market forward I think there's you know there's just so much competition now that we're seeing between Apple Google Microsoft and others and you know some of the more business oriented markets uh, that's got to be great for for consumers and and businesses alike yeah that's that's a great point like when you say that I think about Bing right and how would Google search look right now if they didn't have Bing? Yeah. Little Bing, like that's he, so true. Irritating we, them. <laughs> I, I haven't actually thought about it that is. before, but yeah, yeah, when we we look at how how Google has has actually changed quite a bit recently, right. small subtle ways. I mean, they even changed, tried putting the uh, the image in the background on Google for a, for a little while. They got yeah. uh, slapped about that fairly quickly. Didn't yeah. they? Even, even the new Apple iOS five has yeah. got features from Windows Phone, and yeah. that, we've talked about it previously in our shows that you know they've, they've got. 
a whole pool of play, pocket take a photo. They, they are, they're direct copies of Windows Phone. Right. And, and that's great to see that at least, you know, they're nipping away and pushing some of the, the major dominant players to actually copy those features. So yeah. it's good. Yeah. So where do you think Windows Phone will be in terms of its market position if we look look forward to, say, 2015? We've, you know, there's been some uh, analysts that are saying, oh, Windows Phone's going to be number two, number yeah. one, number three. Where, where do you think it's going to land? I think it's really hard to say, and I feel like a lot of the analyst predictions we've heard are a little too bullish for me. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's it, the, the, the kind of wild card is Nokia to me, and how, you know, can... Nokia get all of its users to go to Windows Phone, or are they going to defect? Because all the analyst predictions that we see are counting on them getting almost 100% of the base to move over. I don't think that's going to happen. And there are a lot of really disaffected Nokia customers and employees who are kind of uh, really anti-Microsoft right now. Absolutely, and a lot of them have already moved. They they've have. already bought an iPhone and they've already they gone have. to an Android handset. So yeah. th- those customers, at least for now, are lost. I mean, right. you know, I used to use Nokia phones, used to love them, but yeah. that, that was years and years ago. Yeah. And yeah, certainly in some markets, like the US, uh, Nokia has a, you know, a, a much uh, or very small slice of the market, right? Right. So, um, yeah. You know, and the other variable that we don't know is will any of the existing vendors have a mess up or a legal thing happen to them that'll derail them and you know that's again going back to the Xbox example with Sony Sony undid itself I mean Microsoft came in strong but Sony kind of hurt themselves with their own strategy missteps I mean if if Microsoft keeps getting all these Android vendors to pay patent licensing fees. They're going to come on in. They're going to come on in. I know, I know. And, I mean, Google so far hasn't really gotten very aggressive in helping its partners defend against this. And, you know, that kind of a thing could really derail the Android platform and give Microsoft a leg up. We don't know. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, to see, you know, yeah, what what happens over the next years. But I think, you know, the 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 positive thing is that this competition isn't going to stop anytime soon. So the phones that we look at in 2015, uh, you know, I think we'll probably, you know, I don't know that we'll be able to imagine quite what they're going to do, what they're going to look like, what are the great features. Uh, I mean, maybe you know, we we did with the iPhone, we saw. A transition to a new, a new uh, type of you know user experience in phones. I'm not sure that we're going to see such a dramatic change over the next few years um, in terms of a reinvention. But, but I'm sure knows, things right? have to keep moving forward. And and yeah, that that could happen any time, right? So uh, no, that's a, I mean, the whole Skype. Uh, uncertainty, right? Like, is Skype going to get on phones, and how's it, what's that going to look like? And to what extent is is Skype going to almost let Microsoft become a telco? Well, they become the right? second biggest telco in the world, internet telco in the world, by buying, buying by buying well, Skype. Uh, what, what, once it once yeah. once it's yeah. once it's all <laughs> approved <laughs> and, it's, and, it's, and, it, and, it, and it and it and it's gone through. Yeah, yeah the, the, I mean. The, that's very interesting. I think at the moment there's a lot that's up in the air. There's a lot. You know, we can only guess what that future might look like. But knowing that, you know, the company that whose who software is on the large majority of computers today, a small percentage of phones, um, yeah, is is this big telco player? What 
what will that change in terms of the way that we communicate? I think that's something that's very unknown. Have you got any thoughts on, on what that could be? I don't know. It's, it's so hard to predict in the mobile space because it's changing so fast. I mean, just think about two years ago, how different the market oh, was yeah. from now, you know? Um, so I don't know. I, mobile's one, like, I feel more confident kind of predicting about applications and windows than I do about mobile. Yeah. Just because yeah. there's too many it's moving too parts. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> while we've got the crystal ball going, Paul and I were sort of having a chat before the show here. Um, so we thought, well, we'd throw sort of a crystal ball question to you. Mm-hmm. So if you were Steve Barber, you run Microsoft, mm-hmm. what would be the one big bet you try and do? The one big bet I take? Yeah, you take on board. What would you try and sort of take out? The, I mean, Steve's gone for cloud. Mm-hmm. So what would you do if you ran Microsoft? Mm-hmm. You know, the one thing I kind of disagree with him about, um, and I mean, he's obviously Steve Ballmer, and I'm just an outsider looking in, but <laughs> I I don't buy the whole idea of that Microsoft's betting on about the consumerization of IT. And I really think Microsoft could be a much stronger company if they split consumer and enterprise. And I know Microsoft is dead set against that, and they made a case for why they're not doing that. And, you know, they talk about things like integrating Connect with Windows and how they, they couldn't do that if it was separate companies. But I really think there's two totally different missions and two totally different user bases, and it should be two totally different sets of priorities, in my view. So I know this is, like, totally seen as heresy inside of Redmond, but that's what I would do. Okay, cool. Yeah, okay. That's interesting. What do you think would be the, what would be the benefit that would come out of that? How would that, how would that help? Do you think they would deliver better consumer products and better business products? I think so. If they didn't have to look at how to tie them all together? I do think that because, like, the example I'll point to is Windows 8. And they're trying to make Windows 8 all things to all people, right? And I think if you had a consumer version of Windows 8 that was just, you know, totally aimed at an iPad tablet user base and a really different version of Windows 8 that was aimed at your business users, I think it would be a stronger play than trying to have the same interface be in both places. Yeah, that's an interesting angle, actually. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, thank you very much for, for joining us here on the NZ Tech Podcast. Much appreciated. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, we hope we will be able to do this again. Me too. Um, maybe you'll uh, you'll visit New Zealand at some stage. I know. That would be great. We'd love to have you come down. That would be Absolutely. really fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now, do you want to just give us your Twitter handle so where all our followers can sort of start sure. following on Twitter? Yes. Um, my handle on Twitter is Mary Jo Foley, M-A-R-Y-J-O-F-O-L-E-Y. My blog is allaboutmicrosoft.com. Great. Well, we'll put that. We'll put those up as Thanks. well, so uh, so listeners can can look on the website, uh, the nztechpodcast.com website, for those things. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for uh, for joining us. We've really enjoyed it. Thank, thank you. Privilege. Thank Thanks, you. Oh well, that was a great discussion, wasn't it? Uh, I enjoyed that. How about you, Brad? Yeah. Look, she's a, she's an amazing lady to talk to. Um, yeah, she's she was a really nice lady. Oh, look, we're going to hopefully have some uh, future contact with her and potentially Paul Throt as well. So that'll be really really good. Yeah. No, it was great to have Mary Jo on uh, on the show. And uh, yeah, we certainly look forward to having some more international guests bringing their perspectives into the mix on the podcast. And certainly, you know, I hope we'll, we'll get ones sort of covering other topics as well as just the Microsoft-oriented stuff in the future as well. Now, in, in terms of local New Zealand news, now I heard from uh, from you guys today that Aruba College have made an interesting uh, <laughs> move 
regarding um, a particular piece of Apple technology. Oh yeah, Skip, yeah. you go. I think they realise they. Well, I think they believe that parents at the school can afford Ferraris, so yeah. they they've made it compulsory for iPad twos to be part of. Year um, nine. The year nine pencils and books and stationery list. <laughs> so a thousand dollar device is now compulsory. Now look, we've got iPads, so we're not against that. What I'm against personally is one that you're making a thousand dollar device compulsory, and two, it's only one platform. So you know when we're in the states, we saw some stunning Android devices. Stunning. Why can't we be using those? You know, and they've, they've actually stated no other device will be allowed. You have to be an iPad. And I'm wondering if there's a deal with Apple going on here. Personally, I, I wonder if it's actually more that they have specific software goals in mind. Yeah. So they've got systems set in place now, um, and that that might be fine. It's a bit bit of a tall ask to get people to spend a thousand dollars on a device when you could go down the road and get a cheaper device, which a, would a do, netbook. Yeah, which would do something similar. So the question would be. It, has the school kind of painted itself into a corner on some software aspects that are forced them to go down the iPad path? And yeah. then maybe they need to actually rethink that and go, well, why don't we make web services around the goals that we're trying to achieve? So then we become device agnostic as a school. I'm wondering whether um, one or two things. One, Apple's come in and said we'd really like to have this for the PR because it's doing them good PR. It's on all the news channels over here at the moment. Or, or two, you've got an iOS development house that's basically said we'll do some prototyping and look for a case study out of you guys type thing so but yeah look I, I like the idea of tablets being in schools but I, I do like the, the ability to choice whether it's a Windows tablet a Google tablet or an Apple tablet and again we're not against the Apple tablets because we've all got the damn things so I just don't like the idea that they're making a very expensive device compulsory for families it's, it's going to be a huge cost I mean Paul what are you thinking about from your side of the world well you know interestingly I was walking around one of the retailers here in the US today and what I saw were um, laptops that were you know reasonably grunty you know fully featured laptops that would actually suit the requirements I, I would have thought of a school much better than a, um, a tablet device because if you think of most of the tablets you know they don't come with a keyboard etc etc so you you know if you're going to input any serious amount of information and you need to get some sort of wireless keyboard you've got all these add-ons you know i was seeing laptops here starting at 350 us dollars now sure they might not be you know robust enough for business use and so on but you know and they've only got a one-year warranty which which i guess lines up with the one one-year type warranty that apple has but yeah much more much more powerful devices you can actually run you know, business applications like Office on them, and I would tend to think that a laptop was going to achieve much, much more than what you could achieve on an iPad. You know, I use iPad myself, but and so I wouldn't recommend it for uh, schoolwork and and uh, you know homework and study type stuff as as much as I would a uh, a laptop. So one other thing to think about too, which I haven't heard mentioned, is um, what about the Google Chromebooks? I mean, they'd be perfect for schools. You know, they're, they're low cost. They're, everything's in the cloud. It's a storage service there. Um, and, and they've got a keyboard and everything, but they're a light OS that can be taken. I mean, that's, their I thought, one of their niche markets. I'm surprised that Google hasn't got in there. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it is a bit of a shame. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit early days with the Chromebook. Uh, I, you know, I mean, I've had a look, and and the potential of it is is definitely there, but again, it's um, you know it has some of the sort of limitations that we see, you know, with the iPad in terms of its cap- capabilities. But I mean, that will move along very quickly, and uh, you know, give it give it some time. It'll be interesting to see 
uh, where it gets to. But yeah, I would certainly say the Chromebook would be a step up on uh, on the iPad in, in terms of its uh, its capabilities for doing for doing schoolwork. I mean, I just I don't quite understand that picture in terms of actually working on an iPad. I mean, great for consuming information, but you know, you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't want to use it to enter a huge amount of information doing you know homework and projects and and so on it's not compatible with a lot of printers yet so yeah some somewhat unusual thing here from O'Rewa College I see, I see some of the write-ups are saying this is going to be great press for them uh, I think they're they're absolutely nuts um, personally <laughs> with uh, a squirrel of course but um, I would say that because there's a squirrel out in the tree <laughs> outside here, so, uh, G'day squirrels um, yeah so uh, I've got such things on my mind but Right, so in other news, Brad and I have had a little bit of a look while we've been here in the States at um, HP's Web OS, uh, which was previously the Palm OS, which has now moved on to uh, some nice tablet devices with, mm. a, I think they're an 8.9-inch screen, if I remember correctly. Yep, that's right. Uh, also had a look at the um, BlackBerry Playbook, which is a smaller sort of size uh, around the 7-inch screen. And alongside those, we had a look at some new Android uh, tablets. So there's a whole mix of them available here on the stage, much bigger selection uh, than in New Zealand. And, the, and those sort of uh, variant sizes, a number at 7-inch and a number at the sort of 10.1-inch size. Um, Brad, what were your impressions? What what were the highlights for you sort of looking across all those devices? So, look, I'd heard a lot of bad things about the HP WebOS. And um, so my expectations were quite low when I got to actually see one. Um while it was good, <laughs> it was actually really good. I really enjoyed playing with it. I think it's it is it is lacking some stuff in there in the actual OS, but the actual usability and the experience of it was really really nice. So yeah, when I had a go of it, I suppose I was expecting this really really poor performing, slow, sluggish, bad UI. And the UI was actually really nice, quite slick. It definitely just felt like it just it's a version one, but I think with a bit of bit of work, it will be quite nice. The rim device is absolutely appalling. I mean, that is terrible. They should scrap it and start again, personally. That was really bad. And then getting on to some of the Google device, Google um, um, Android tablets, gingerbread tablets, wow, they were awesome. They were absolutely beautiful. Um, there was some Samsung devices there. Um, I think there was an Acer one that I got my hands on as well. They were wafer thin, dual cameras, um, 8 megapixel, 12 megapixel on one of them. They were responsive. They were really, really crisp. And they were stunning. And they were 499 US when I was looking at them. So still quite reasonable. Um, cheaper than the Apple iPads. But yeah, that, they were the, the the gingerbread ones were absolutely amazing. But the WebOS one, it was quite impressive. I mean, you just had a play today, didn't you, with the WebOS? Yeah, yeah. Putting it next to the Playbook, it's it's a much. I think it's a nicer form factor in terms of thickness and so on. It's it's a, it's about right. It's not quite as sleek as the iPad two, but yeah, with that eight point nine inch screen, it's a good size, and it was it was really responsive. It carried it it well. How do you put it nicely? It it seemed to um, copy very closely some of the the Apple look and feel and certain elements of it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, down to some of the icons and so on. It it sort of felt a little bit uh, rip offish in in terms of some of those things. But we know that Palm's WebOS that it based on, you know, it's been around for a couple of years now. You know that it is unique in its own right. It, it does do some good stuff. Um, it did seem to fire up 
extra apps to do certain things. So when I, I think it was I opened an email or I opened an attachment and you'd find yourself waiting for those sort of things to happen. But in general, as an OS, yeah, it was really nice. Uh, video playback was, was really smooth. Uh, quite a nice email client. Although one thing I did notice, and this may have just been the email that was on the device I was looking at, but it looked as though all the email was limited to being text rather than HTML. I didn't see any formatting in any of the emails on this uh, the sample unit that I was having to play around with. So um, I'm not sure if that's that's a genuine limitation or whether it was just a um, a bad setup that they'd actually done on this particular one. But um, yeah, overall quite quite a nice uh, quite a nice unit. It's good to see more competition in the space. Hmm. HPF John, what, what did you think of the rim device? Yeah, um, I didn't. <laughs> You're being very polite tonight. I'm being a bit more brutal, aren't I? Well, no, you'd better report on that because I didn't ha- I didn't have much of a play on the on the playbook. Um, Although, although its name may uh, may suggest that it's um, less business oriented, I don't know. What it, what what did you think? Yeah, look, I mean, like, as I mentioned, I, I thought it was poor. Um, from the version that I got to play with, now I know this is changing that you couldn't even get email on it. You have to have a BlackBerry hooked up to it to get email. Oh, what? Um, there is going to be a software update to enable email on the bla- on the device, so they do have that work in motion. So yeah, but I would have expected in this day and age that you'd have it. If you're a BlackBerry user, they want you to get it, and and I guess that's the audience that would buy another BlackBerry device. I don't think most people would go out and buy a BlackBerry tablet if they didn't already have a BlackBerry. Yeah, I don't know. I, I look. I, I would. I, I'm agnostic of hardware at the moment. So, if I have an if I have an iPhone four, I would probably look at what an Android device. But you know, I mean, I, look, it just it felt like it was um, a portable. Remember the old portable movie players that we used to have out there, the PMPs. It felt like it was just one of those devices. Cause it, look, it played HD movies really nicely, and it did photos. But that was it. It really didn't have that connectivity and, and default standards that I would expect from a device at this, in this day and age. Yeah, I, I thought it was really poor, I think, for the amount of effort, they've, from what we've heard, they've put into it. Um, I would be... I wouldn't invest my money you know, at the moment. I'd be, But I suppose, look, RIM's not in a good place in the US, as we heard while we are over there. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see yeah. how that sells. Well, I think it's worth sitting back on the fence for a little while on, on both of those products. A couple of reasons. One, they haven't launched in New Zealand yet. And the other is that they're innovating quite quickly behind the scenes. And even uh, HP have come out and, and addressed some of their, their critics on some performance issues and so on with their with the new web OS tablet and have said that they're working hard and they're going to fix those things up quite quickly. Um, we have lined up four sample units of, of both of those when they come uh, start becoming available in New Zealand. And that's not likely to be too far off from from what I'm gathering, but uh, we'll get the we'll get the full full details on those out to everybody once uh, once we have the real story. So in that case, we'll get to have a much better play, and hopefully, you know, the playbook at that stage, when it does come through here, those those issues that we've seen to date will have will have been resolved, and there'll be a bit more of a uh, you know a level field across the devices. But um, yeah, let, let's wait and see on that. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Now, is there anything else on the agenda that uh, that we needed to get through, guys? There's a, there's a couple of other things there, but we're uh, we're really running uh, we're running a little bit short on time. Uh, were any of those things uh, jumping out? One of the things, actually, I'll I'll mention that I saw uh, covered in the media here, and it's been around for a few months. Is this uh, water powered jetpack? And uh, there was a bit of news coverage of of this thing. Uh, uh, over here, did you guys have a look at the video of that? 
yeah, I've seen I've seen a bit of it before. You can rent it or something in in, in Saint Tropez or something at the moment as well, can't you? Yeah, the, these units are about one hundred and twenty thousand US dollars, and what they have is a um, um, it's pretty hilarious actually. You've got this uh, jetpack, which which I guess looks a little a, a little bit like a Martin jetpack or or some of the other jetpacks of the past, um, but it, it actually it's got water coming out of it and you've got this huge tube that goes down into the into the sea if you're trying to so basically you have to fly over water you've got to, you've got to see the video to believe it uh, there's one news report which um, showed off the epic fail of it when the guy tried to take off and ended up knocking over the reporter uh, and then the guy flying it uh, went straight down into the water and sunk uh, but there's a much um, there's a much slicker sort of demo video which shows it off with music and and all sorts of stuff. So we'll put those up in our uh, in our notes on nztpodcast.com after the show. So those that are interested uh, can have a look. Uh, but it's a pretty expensive gadget coming in at 120k US, uh, and I imagine at that price it wouldn't be particularly cheap if you're going to hire it while you're out at the beach either. Yeah. So, so, so from my side, I've got two quick things before we wrap up the show. Um, the first one is to all uh, the Windows Vista SP1 users out there at the moment. I won't make a joke about that one. The support yep. for that has that is, has ended. So, if you're on SP1, you're now out of support. So, get your butts onto Windows 7 or something else, please. There's an SP2 out, right? Yeah, but. Get off SP1. In fact, just get onto Windows 7. Mate. Just get off that one. Um, the other one for all you iOS um, users at the moment, Apple has patched the malware vulnerabilities in, and the, the latest release is 4.3.4 and they've actually acknowledged uh, that they've had uh, that it does fix security issues. So that will be for all your um, iPhone and iPad users. So please make sure you download the latest version of, of the update from a security perspective for those devices. Um, it'll be good to have. Or not if you want a jailbreak. Yeah. <laughs> Oh well, they've jailbroken already. Oh well, then what's the point? But, 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 but you've still, yeah, you've still got, you've still got risks. You know, I guess you know these line up with our general recommendation to listeners, which is really keep all your operating systems patched and and as up to date as possible. Um, if you're in a business environment, make sure that your IT team is proactively maintaining your systems because if you leave these things open and loose, you you can really leave your your you know yourself as an individual or leave your organisation at considerable risk and one of the news stories actually I came across recently in the US was a a company whose systems weren't as secure as they should have been and someone was able to get their their internet banking details. They ripped these guys off for a few hundred thousand dollars out of their bank account and the bank, when it went to court, the bank said, look, this, this was not our fault, it was your fault for not securing your systems properly. And in this case, the bank did not have to refund the money that was taken out of those uh, those bank accounts. So, yeah, it really is a warning that it is really important to have you know uh, good secure systems, good secure passwords, and to keep yeah keep your systems clean from um, from dodgy software. All right. Well, um, I think that's us for this week. Uh, thanks very much, everyone, for uh, for listening in. Uh, and we'll be back again. I'll be uh, I'll be in the studio. Uh, again next week back in uh, back in New Zealand uh, with the rest of the team so um, yeah thanks very much for listening in as always you can catch us online nztechpodcast.com twitter is at nztechpodcast and of course facebook.com slash nztechpodcast 
catch you all later. Cool. Bye. It'll be nice to have you back in the studio, you and the squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> see you, Paul. Have a good one, mate. We'll see you in a week. Okay, see you guys. Bye, squirrels. 